Hello, handsomes. If you're new here, welcome to Personally Speaking, the show where friends, comics, storytellers, and villains get vulnerable on stage before a live audience just to make you laugh. This month marks the two-year anniversary of the origin of the show itself, which took place in a living room for a while before we even started recording it, long before people in Tokyo, Queens, Amsterdam, Tyrol, Saudi Arabia, and India had heard of personally speaking. That is wild. Two years. Okay, so when we started this show, uh, the common denominator seemed to be that we all like drinking and we all like laughing, but uh, each month as I would start reaching out to comics and to people I like on Twitter to do the show, it kind of started becoming more clear to me that the people I gravitated to and most wanted to hear from were people who, for one reason or another, were refusing to accept the understanding that they should be sidelined. Weirdos, queers, sluts, sensitive guys, fat black women, Asian girls, people who were very familiar with the experience of having their complex humanity reduced to boring stereotypes. And that's who I continue to want on my show because our performers continually burst onto the stage like guns blazing and humanity roaring, insisting that their right to take up space is not up for negotiation. And I agree. So we've got five stories for you that I have handpicked from our 16 volumes. Some of them are stories that people bring up to me a lot. Some of them are sleeper hits that you might have missed because they were at the end of a very long podcast. If you've never heard our show before or know someone who has never heard our show before, send them this episode. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Christiana, and thanks for joining us. It all started one day. I was going to run in Canyon and I just got in a psychic reading the night before. And the psychic told me I'm going to meet somebody hugely famous. And since I was single, I just assumed that meant this was going to be my husband. So, <laughs> so I go to Runyon, but I actually went looking like a hot mess. I wore, you know, when you wear the sunblock that's so like strong that it's all white on your face. <laughs> yeah, that was me that day. And nobody wanted to come with me. So I went hiking by myself. I'm coming down the hill. I'm hitting Hollywood and Fuller. And I see this guy, he's riding a motorcycle, helmet on, vintage motorcycle. I'm a huge motorcycle fanatic, okay, huge. And he like falls off of it. So I'm like, oh my God. So I just run over to him, I don't know who this, I just go over to him and I'm like, oh my God, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I think my, something's wrong with my bike. And I'm like, well, do you want me to help you lift it up? He goes, well, we can try. So I. I look like a mess already, so why not? So I start helping him lift up the bike. We're lifting up the bike, and we're talking. Keep in mind, he has a helmet on, okay? We're having a full conversation. It's about 80 degrees. So you know where the sunblock is? It's all over my face. I have white coming out of my lips. I mean, eyes. I look a hot mess. I don't know. Anyway, so we're talking, and... Uh, all of a sudden, I, I keep hearing, and then I heard a bus stop, and I see a bunch of people, sort of like how you guys are standing there, kind of just staring at us, lifting up the bike, and we're talking. So I'm like, I don't, I'm not thinking anything about it. I'm talking to him. I said, wow, you know, how old is the bike? And he's telling me he just bought it. He had it made. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. So all of a sudden, I notice that there's a video camera behind me. And I'm like looking, I'm like, what's going on? He takes off his helmet. It's Brad fucking Pitt! Oh my God! I am fucking dying! I'm fucking pissed at myself! I, I look like, I, I, I didn't even fucking brush my teeth! I just put sunblock on! I was going to run in! It was noon, it was 80 degrees out! 
cares what I look like? Oh my God, he takes off the helmet. And and I, like I said, I'm usually not starstruck. <laughs> Guess what? He's standing here looking at me and we're talking. He takes off the helmet and I'm like, oh shit. Oh shit. And then there's, there's people snapping photos in a video camera. And then I'm just, I literally am crying white tears. I swear. And then he's just, he's like normal. He's not, he takes off his helmet. He's talking to me. And he sees I'm pointing in his nose. And he's not even, he doesn't even care. He's just like, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm like, I don't know what you're going to do. But I know what I'm going to do. And we're talking. And then all of a sudden, they're, shoot, they're shooting photos of me. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Not with Brad Pitt looking like this. There's no way. I look a hot mess. There's no way. And people start lifting up the bike. And I lift up the bike, and then I'm like, you know what, Brad? I look a mess. They're taking photos. I gotta go. He's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell Angie I said hi. I start running down the block, and then I can see paparazzi running and chasing him. And they're trying to. They're like, who, who was that? He was talking to. I don't care what he was talking to. He was talking to me, but I don't wait anybody to see me looking like that so I run home and I look online and of course the footage is there and it's a person with a white face with white tears and a black outfit with Brad Pitt going like this I will never tell any of you the year this happened um yeah, you'll never know the year it happened. It was probably less than five and more than seven. Guess what? I'm never going to tell you, but that was Brad Pitt, and that was my fame story. That was my fame story. So, when I was in college, I dated this guy named Brandon, and... <laughs> Brandon and I were crazy in love. And we were just like, it wasn't just that we were perfect together. It also felt like fate that we had met because we were in Oklahoma where everyone was like, are you a Jewish? And I was like, yes, I'm a Jewish. Please don't kill me. And then I, I met Brandon and we were like, yes, we are a Jewish. Don't kill us. And, and we felt like it was like safety in numbers and we found each other. And, and when college ended, I was older than him. So he was still in school and I moved. But we were like, we're the perfect couple, long distance, no problem. So two days after I moved, I met this guy. And... Um, we had the kind of attraction that's like, you're like, well, I have a boyfriend, but like maybe he'll just push me up against a wall and force me. And then you're like, I'm not supposed to think that. Like if I think that, then somebody else is going to hear that and they're going to be like, see, women like when you rape them. Rape for you, rape for you. And then I was like, but like no one wants to get raped by that guy because he's a rapist. So I'm like having these thoughts and so I was like okay no no well the best thing I can do is be open and honest and so I tell Brandon that there's this other person that I'm attracted to but I love him and that's where we're at bad idea don't do it he did not feel good about that and we ended up after a little while breaking up and I was really really sad about it because I loved Brandon and the, let me tell you a little bit about the guy that I ended my perfect relationship for his name was Sun King. <laughs> yeah, and you're not racially insensitive for laughing. He was white. Um, and he would say really charming things like, racism isn't really that big of a deal. People made fun of me in school, too. Aww. Like, yeah, of course your name's Sun King, asshole. Um, and so I was, like, never going to be with him, and I was so sad, and I thought... If I can't make things work with Brandon, like, I guess I'm not going to be in a lifelong relationship. Like, that's just not for me. I'm, it was not a slutty phase. Like, I'm just slutty. Great. So I'm, like, walking down the street being like, I'm slutty. Cool. And then I go into a bookstore and I see this book. And it's called The Ethical Slut. And I was like, 
Yes, please. And so I read it and I felt, I think I felt the way that people who believe in God feel when they read the Bible, that I was just like, I like testify, like there's a higher power because it was all about like just be in a relationship and sleep with other people. You just have to find somebody who's cool with that and who also wants to sleep with other people. And I was like, you can do that? So I was like, okay, I am now polyamorous. I'm a polyamorous person. So why is that so funny? Um, so I, um, so I'm like, this is my new lifestyle. And the first guy that I tried to date with this idea did not, he was not into it. Um, and he started just being like, oh God, but I like you so much and I could never, oh, and I'm so sad. And, and this was our first date though. So I was like, you're like very attached to me. So this wouldn't have worked anyway. Um, but I gave him a blowjob in his car anyway. And when he finished, he then went, well, now you've seen it. I know and I didn't know what that was so I said what like every confident feminist says when like a guy says something weird about his dick which was like (laughs) and then I never saw him again and then the second guy that I tried to date with my new polyamorous lifestyle was just like yeah cool I like dating and I like fucking let's try this and I was like alright you're either my soulmate or a douchebag so let's go for it so we start dating and it's going really well we're like open and honest with each other and we're not jealous because like everything's out there and we're in the same boat but we did hit some snags so the first snag um, we'll call her Erica because that is her name and I don't care about protecting her um she acted like she was cool with it. She was like, yeah, of course, this makes so much sense. You and I, I mean, we really just want sex. It's totally fine. And Brian was like, great. This guy, yeah. So, um, but then she would see us together, and she would get so envious of our relationship that she would just, like, slap him in the face. And then she'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know what was wrong with me. And then they'd sleep together again. And then she'd see us together again. And then, like, one time she let this string of messages where she said crazy things like, you're going to die alone masturbating and thinking of my hot body. <laughs> and, and Brian, bless his heart, heard that and was like, I'm so proud of her. She never used to be that confident about her body. <laughs> and I was like, you're very sweet, but veto, we're done with her. And then on the other end, I was seeing this guy named Ari, and he was a comedian, and I picked him up in the sluttiest thing I've ever done, which is I saw him do a set and was like, I like your jokes, want a bone? And then we did. And, um... <laughs> Ari likes to choke me so hard during sex that one time I was I woke up in the morning and I was not only covered in bruises but all the blood vessels around my eyes had burst. And if any of you are in the medical community, you know that that's how you identify that a corpse has been strangled to death is if the blood vessels have burst. So he tried to sex murder me and Brian didn't like that. Um, The other thing about Ari is he only ever called me on the phone once. And that was to tell me that I should probably get tested because he might have given me an STD. But don't worry, I went to the doctor and chlamydia is very treatable. uh, And I started calling him the chlamydian and it was like so worth it. Just for that joke. So, but Brian was like, no, veto. Like, you're not dating this, like, guy who tried to murder you in two ways. Um, So we were like, well, we're this polyamorous couple, but we don't have any other partners now. Like, we want this lifestyle. So we're like, great, sex clubs. So we start going to sex clubs. And the first time we go, we don't really know what we're doing, so we don't really find another couple to sleep with. So we're like, okay, well, we'll just have sex with each other, and it's semi-public, and it'll be fun. So we go into a private room, we start, we start fooling around, and then this other really hot couple comes in, and they're like, hey, do you wanna? And we're like, yeah, okay, sure. So we start hooking up with them. But then this other couple comes in, and I'm not attracted to this guy at all. And uh, I'm like laying on my back, and Brian and I are doing it, and he doesn't say anything. He just comes over, and he just puts his penis, like, he just drops it on my face. And I've never been to a sex club before, so I'm like, is this normal? Like, I, do I just, what do I do now? But, like, now that I've been to a bunch, I'm like, not normal. What is wrong with you? Ask permission. But since I didn't know what to do, I just, like, sort of, like, moved my face. <laughs> and I guess, I don't know why, I, you'd think that he 
would have been like, oh, she doesn't want to give me a blowjob. But he was sort of like, no, silly bitch. Like, I want a blowjob. And just like, <laughs> so it's just like me just chase me in all different ways until finally Brian had an orgasm and I was like good evening sir and then we left um (laughs) but we went to many sex clubs after that and most of the time it was really fun we had a couple other weird things like like Brian got tired of me having sex with this guy because he was already done so he like reached over and tickled the guy's balls And I was, and the guy was like, "Did you tickle my balls?" And Brian was like, "I guess so. I don't know what I was doing. I'm sorry, uh, but it worked because the guy was like, "Okay, cool. Um, bye." Um, and then another time, I was having sex with this couple, and they started dirty talking, but it was weirdly passive aggressive. <laughs> like he would be like, "Ooh, it'd be so hot if I came in her mouth," and she would go, "But don't you think it would be hotter if you came in her pussy?" And she would go, and he would say. Well, but I wouldn't it be really hot, babe, if I came in her mouth? And they like went back and forth and it got more and more heated and then they looked at me and he was like, Where do you want me to come? And I was like, I think your wife wants you to come in my and he was like, But what do you want? And I was like, I just want to leave. I don't want to leave. <laughs> so it's it's a variety of experiences. And then a year ago, uh, Brian proposed. And he did this huge spectacle because I told him I wanted one. And <laughs> at the end of it, he started to take out the ring. He said, I want to share one more thing with you. And then right as he did that, this other guy came out and was like, it's crazy that you were going to do this the same night I was. And he got down on one knee. And he did this proposal. And the thing about that guy is he was somebody that Brian knew I had a crush on. And right as he got to the end of his proposal, someone else came out with the ring. And like seven different people came out and all did proposals. Uh, And then at the end of it, Brian was like, okay, okay, enough. Will you marry me? Because rather than putting his ownership of me first, his envy about what anyone else could have, he appealed to my slutty nature and gave me what would make me happy, which was proposals from, like, all the hot guys that we knew. (laughs) And and we're getting married in, like, two weeks. Why am I telling a story? I should be planning that. Uh, And we're going to live sluttily ever after. Thank you so much. I'm black. That's 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 me. I'm black. I should let everyone know that. But I'm like super black. Like my dad's from Nigeria, still has an accent. And you know, when you have a parent who like did all the work to travel to come to America, you just have the sense of like not wanting to let them down. Especially as a black person, because you know, there's like three rules you just don't want to break as a black person. See, you don't want to go to jail, you don't want to like dip out on your kid, and you don't want to put mayonnaise on your sandwiches. Like, those are the three <laughs> main rules you have to follow. And like, I've, I've, I've broken two of them in my life, but we're not talking about sandwiches tonight. Uh, <laughs> so basically, uh, like, you know, going through life, I've, I've always been trying to fit in. Like, uh, it's, it's a long road through comedy. I've been in Los Angeles all my life, but I didn't start really doing comedy acting and all that bullshit till about five years ago. So I was always trying to fit in because I never quite did. But since my dad came all the way from Nigeria, he wanted to make sure I was a lawyer or a doctor or another thing that you actually have to go to school for and not ditch so you can go to Venice Beach and hang out and eat hot dogs. Uh, <laughs> that's all I did. Like, I wish I could be like, yeah, I smoke so much weed, but all we did was eat hot dogs. It's so much, so many damn hot dogs. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, so generally, if you want to be like a well-adjusted citizen, you know, you make smart, rational decisions. So obviously, in my early 20s, I was in a motorcycle club without a motorcycle. Uh, <laughs> I got the colors and everything. Uh, so I, I made it super far. And the cool thing is like, you know, who remembers the Rough Riders? You remember Rough Riders? I, I love that look to my black people. I was like, y'all remember the <laughs> but, but yeah, so they had the Rough Riders Motorcycle Club, and that was like the dopest motorcycle club because the, on the leather jacket, you had the R, and they all had this, uh, the crotch rockets. Like, no one was on choppers. It was the dopest, dopest. And that's the main reason I joined this motorcycle club because I was like, I'm going to one of their parties. But before that, it was all just 
like those choppers, those big, like loud chopper parties, and those are filled with old people. And you know, no, not to diss on old people, but you know, I'm not gonna hit on a 50 year old, you know, biker chick. That's not my scene. But when I went to the Rough Rider spot, that's when I knew I was gonna turn up. So it finally happened. We had to go to the Rough Rider spot. But also, if it was mad broke, didn't want to spend the gas to go to the party, so I called up my friend Tasha. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to go. And she's like, just drive to my house. We'll get in my car, and we'll go. And I was like, that sounds like a plan I do like. Uh, <laughs> so we go there, and you know, at the time, I didn't consider this, even though like I grew up in Compton, and neighboring Compton was Watts. And that's like, you know, that's like the super hood. And... Uh, <laughs> And so, so like I, but I was just, I'm always just so spacey that I just don't realize it. So I went to Watts, that's where she was, to transfer cars, but nothing seemed wrong. It was just old people having a party. No problem, right? So we were waiting for her dad to get us cigarettes, and then she would have her truck, and then we would leave. I was hype. I was ready. I had my vest on. I had, I had this like, big ass fubu shirt on like that this is this is before the urkel glasses i was looking good i was gonna i I was gonna turn up i didn't know what was gonna happen but i was ready and uh there was a commotion in the front and i was like okay let's check this out because i'm noisy i'm i'm very nosy and i go to the front and uh what happened next can only be described. It went in a speed I call fastmo because <laughs> at the time it was happening so slow, but everything happened so fast. Like uh, if you get what I'm saying. So this like middle-aged woman was standing on in the middle of these like steps and it was to the second story in her apartment and it was this cop trying to pass her and she's like I need a warrant. You need to go in there. He's like, ma'am, you need to get out the way. He's like, nope, I need to see a warrant. He's like, ma'am, you need to get out the way. And she didn't. And he looked to his other cop. And the cop was like, hey. And he looked at her. And he straight up did some WWE, tossed her down the stairs, and she flew. It was crazy. And then the next thing that happened was something I didn't even think was possible. It opened up a whole new world in me the dude just punched a cop like just straight up and everybody and it was like like they all went into like power ranger formation it was like oh we fighting we fighting cops now like this was a world i did not know existed i was like oh i thought we don't fight cops and it was like no we fighting cops now it's like oh <laughs> and it was it was and this was like you know a little bit before World Star, like we still had camera phones, you know. But there was a dude with like a, a like news style camera, just had already. I was like, you had that already. Like you, you have to bring the tapes and had the VHS tapes. He was, and it was just a ruckus. And I was like, oh, this is where I don't want to be right now. So. Uh, <laughs> then I saw another thing that blew my mind. Uh, I mean. <laughs> The cop, when they started losing, because at first they thought they were going to like fight him. They're like, oh, we got this. They didn't have it. They got tore up. And then the cop stands up, covered in grass, looks down, and he calls for backup. And I shit you not, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I am not lying. By the time his thumb left the walkie-talkie, a cop card or two pulled up and a helicopter appeared that I was like we are breaking the laws of physics right now cops are getting punched helicopters are appearing out of thin air I don't know what's going on but I need to get out of here and I turn around and there's a wall of people because everybody wanted to see this and so like I'm trying to get the piece together and Tasha's mom I felt like she thought she she had the juice you know she was in front of the cops while he was attacking another person like we got you on camera we got you on camera now uh no she didn't because the cop then body slammed her and I was like ah that was a bad movie maybe not get right into the mix of things and Tasha just saw her mom get DDT'd on concrete <laughs> so she just loses it I'm like I can't leave you 
because also you're my ride out because I still I still want to go to this Rough Rider party so we gotta go we gotta go so I like grab her and I was like and, and that was my first mistake because I could have been out I could have been out but I really wanted to go to this Rough Rider party so I go back and I grab her and like it's good your mom's good he's on her she's done we gotta get out of here and so we're pushing out and we're moving slow because there were so many people there for some reason. And I look behind me because I hear like this voice. It's like, everybody get the fuck out. Everybody need to move. Get the fuck out. Move. I'm like, who is this angry? And it's this short ass cop half my size behind me. And I was like, this is never going to end well. So he's just screaming. And the next time I turn around, he got into like the most karate formation <laughs> with the baton and luckily I looked in time because I had to move like this to not get smacked and uh, and I was like oh let's please get out of here and I look over I'm trying to find Tasha and she's over trying to open the truck I'm like it's a lost cause we gotta go we are walking to the Rough Riders party because we still going to Rough Riders party y'all this is I'm telling y'all that's the only reason I joined the motorcycle club I gotta get to this party then I feel like a resistance as I try and uh, walk and uh, this short ass cop has grabbed me by my motorcycle vest <laughs> and uh, and he just like he tried to he had to do his one last thing he was like ah, I got this dude and he like shoves me and like I start you know uh, spinning ballerines might call it a pirouette and uh, on my way down I tried to grab something for balance and it was the cop's hand, and then I like kind of like caught myself, and I was walking. I was like, "Whatever, that was weird. It's over. Let's go." She looks at me. She's like, "Thanks for having my back." I'm like, "Thanks. We gotta go." So then I'm walking, and then all of a sudden I'm getting arrested. <laughs> Like I'm walking and somebody's grabbing my back and it's the short cop again. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? He's like, when you touch my arm, that counts as assault against a police officer. You're under arrest. I'm like, what? What? That doesn't make any sense. He was like, it does now. And he takes me to the cop car and there's two cops just chilling. Like it's like it's like apocalypse now in this front yard, <laughs> and two cops are just chilling, just in the car. And so they left me there and was like, all right, I'm gonna come back for him. So I'm talking to the guys. I'm like, look, guys, I'm a little nerdy, dude. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm trying to, I was just trying to go to a party. I know nothing about this. And at the time, I worked for the county. So I was like, I work for the county. I'm kind of like one of y'all, right? <laughs> so they were like, yeah, man. And the cop walks over. And he was like, hey, man, what? this guy's a good guy. We were just chatting with him. You know, why don't you let him go? He's like, I already called it in. It's like, all right. It's like, oh, okay, that's all it takes. So, uh, so, and they're like, don't worry, man. We're just going to drive to the station. We're going to ask you a couple of questions, and you're going to go home. Perfect. Cool. So we get taken to the station. And, like, I, obviously, you, you heard the story. I, I left, but um, it's me, and I, I truly do look like I do not belong because every one of the other black people arrested is just covered in grass. Like, we like we were having, like, straight up, like, Tuscan oil, right? <laughs> you know, wrestling, just in grass. Everyone's just covered in grass. And then, like, this is another, like, mind-blown thing that I didn't think existed. We're all handcuffed. Cops are walking in, bloody faces, because they got tore up. And it's like, oh, yeah, I think that's the one I punched. <laughs> all right, cool, man. And then the other one left. <laughs> I think I punched that one. So I just wanted to clear things. I was like, I didn't punch anybody. Just want to let y'all know. I didn't do shit. Just want to let everybody know in here. I just want to answer these questions and go home. And it's like a whole different world when you get cuffed up. Like, you know... You know, like, there's, there's always that, you know, kind of like, you know, always criminal blackness when you get cuffed. But when they get you in the cuffs, they got you. It's a wrap. You a criminal. It's over. I might as well have got my teardrop. Because, <laughs> because they're sitting there, like, every cop that watched me, like, ugh. I was like, I didn't do nothing. Ugh. 
So the DA comes, and I was like, cool, we're going to answer these questions. And I'm out, finally, perfect, we good. He goes in the room, and then he goes out the door. And I go, but that's the person I'm supposed to be answering questions for. And then the cop comes out, and I was like, all right, we're going to book all y'all. Now, I know what booking means, but I, I just wanted to make sure. I was like, what y'all mean by like, but you going to jail? I was like, oh, cool. All right, then. I thought it was still like they were joking, like they were trying to punk us. Like maybe it'd be like, just kidding. Click, click. Go out. Nope. <laughs> nope. We got driven. <laughs> we all got driven to jail. We got screen pinned. I thought, and we got thrown all in the same cell. And finally, now that everyone had a chance to sober from their fight, everyone finally turns and looks at me and says, what are you doing here? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but when y'all started going Rambo on all the cops, I got wrapped up in it somehow. And it's like, all right, man, it's cool. You're going to be taken care of. It's all good. Now, I didn't know what that meant. I don't know if I just automatically became someone's bitch right there. <laughs> But that was fine with me at the time. Now, this whole time I had to, I, I had to like work out the next plan because I did have a nine to five. I knew, and this is a Saturday, and I had to be to work at Monday. Now, also, my dad works at the same job as me, so if I'm not there, he knows I'm not there, and he's gonna want to know why I am not there. So, I was like, you know, it's cool. I'm just get in late. Get, get, go to court, taken care of. We meet with the DAs. They ask me questions. I answer all the questions, tell them everything I just told you. And I was like, oh, it looks like you were just at the wrong place at the wrong time. I was like, yep. But then they asked me, like, like interviewed me like five more times, I guess, to see if I was lying. By like time number four, I was like, I was at the wrong place, wrong time. Y'all already told me. Why I got to say it again? I'm at the wrong place, wrong time. They're like, yeah, you're right. Go back in that cell. So then we eventually started getting booked to uh, go to uh, the jail. And I was like, well, wait, I thought, you know, we're going to be out, you know, Monday. So why do we need to go to a jail? And he's like, oh, because the uh, courts closed Monday. So you got to be in jail till Tuesday. And then you meet the judge and then you get out. So now I'm in a danger zone because I was trying to do this without calling my dad. Now, I got to call my dad. But, you know, I was sandbagging and I was waiting. So, you know, one by one, we were all getting booked and everyone was going. And then eventually it was just me in the room because I had to make that call. I had to first I called like the there's like an adjuster that if it's your first offense, just so you know, any of the people in here who might be uh, racially profiled and sent to jail, you get a call, you call the adjuster, they lower the bail, you know. <laughs> so we, I got the bail lowered, and I eventually had to make that call to my dad. So I called my dad. I said, Dad, all my life, I never wanted to call you from this place, but I'm calling you from jail. They got me. I was in. <laughs> They got me. I was I was at the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong people. I got caught up in it. They think I hit a cop. So now I'm in jail. I'm so sorry, Dad. I know you came all the way from Nigeria and you didn't want this to happen. You put in all that work and now you now you gotta get this call. And then he took a second, he was like, son. I know you my whole life, you know. I know that there's no reason you would ever hit a cop. This isn't even in your character, and I'm proud of you. So you don't have to explain anything to me. We're going to come take care of you, and we're going to get you out. Now, please stop crying, because that's a sign of weakness. <laughs> because I was crying the whole time. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. I'm Mr. White. There was a time in my life where I didn't feel good about myself. I'm sure no one else has ever felt that way. Uh, totally unrelatable. But I, I just did not feel good about myself. I graduated from college with a degree in poetry in performance. 
and I was living in my sister's basement in Minnesota. My one job was to put was to mow the lawn, and I couldn't figure out how to like put the gas in the lawnmower, so I just like gave up. Uh, I was working at the Pottery Barn. I had two strikes against me: one because I spilled a maxi melt on my pants and couldn't afford to get new khakis. Uh, the only thing I really felt good about was the fact that I tended to get triple word scores in Scrabble. That was pretty much it. Um, so I was staying at my sister's house, and I had an interview at Cutco, a group interview. Do you guys know what Cutco is? You do. It's like a pyramid scheme. Like you do. <laughs> we have some. Have you seen that? Like how they can like cut a penny with a scissors? Is that why you're, where the enthusiasm is coming from? Because that's like their claim to fame is that you can like cut a penny with a pair of Cutco scissors. But I went to this group interview and it was so horrible and so corporate. Like I went there and they were like blasting "We Will Rock You." Like they're like tin, like trophy case full of tin trophies was vibrating, and we're all just sitting there. And then they have like a like a success story come out, and he's like 13 years old and he's like has braces. And he's like, how many people here have ever had a paycheck with a comma in it? And everyone's just like, oh my, like, we all just felt like, we were like poor farmers, like, does he mean a thousand dollars? And we were all just whispering. It was me and like everyone, it was like me and like a lot of like single parents who worked at Denny's and we were all like, we need this money. Like, we need to be here right now. And then at the end of the kid's speech, the regional manager came up uh, and he goes, does anyone have any questions? And I raised my hand and I'm like, yeah, isn't it kind of dangerous to go into a stranger's house with a set of knives? Uh, But I still got a second interview uh, and it was happening the next day. And at the time I just started doing stand-up and I was in Minnesota and I was performing at this Mexican restaurant. And at this Mexican restaurant, there was... I'm not even going to say a regular. I'm going to say this guy was a legend. <laughs> His name is Fancy Ray. Uh, he's incredible. His eyebrows look like, you know when you write your name on an invitation, you do that like swirl underneath? He like painted those on his face for eyebrows every day. And his whole act rhymed and it was like, my, my, my. Like, would you guess that I have sapphires in between my thighs by looking in my eyes? And you're like, isn't that like a Maya Angelou poem? Uh, but he was incredible. So one night he got off stage and he stopped by my table and he considered me for a moment. And what came out of Fancy Ray's mouth was like the best thing I had heard since I graduated college. I couldn't even believe it. He looked at me and he goes, do you? want to be in a commercial. And I was like, a commercial? Like, oh my God, like I just imagine, like, like that, that's almost what I went to school for. <laughs> like imagine calling my mom like, yeah, I didn't even have to audition. I was discovered at Pepito's Mexican restaurant. <laughs> and then he had some not so great news. He goes, it pays $200, no residuals. He goes, and can you do your makeup a little bit better than it is right now? <laughs> And I was like, yeah. And he goes, okay. He goes, I want you to go to this address tomorrow in St. Paul, Minnesota and bring a tube top. So I went home (laughs) to my apartment. I'm like, okay, this is happening. I'm going to be in a commercial. I need to find my tube top. Like this was like the best thing that had happened to me at this point since graduating. I was like, okay, I have my red tube top. This was like, I didn't even have a computer. So I like went to Kinko's and like printed out directions And the next day, I drive to this, like, seedy neighborhood in St. Paul, Minnesota, and the commercial is taking place at this video store, and Fancy Ray is the director, and this is what he directs me to do. So the first shot of the commercial is this. I start over here in the video store, and I go, Minnesota's number one source for movies is video lease, and he really wants me to, like, shut the hip out like that. The second frame is me standing in this little cubby, and I have to go... We have the biggest, uh, or, oh yeah, Minnesota, okay. And then I'm supposed to stand in the cubby and go, comedy, drama, and much, much more. And he kept directing me. He was like, and much, much more. And I'm like, I couldn't tell he wanted it to be sexy because it was Fancy Ray doing it so it didn't translate. So he's like, just wink, okay? He's like, just wink. So I was like, and much, much more. But I can't, it just looked like a butterfly had died on my face. I can't wink. Uh, And then the third shot was me 
sitting on top of the counter like this. And I go, uh, we have the biggest selection in the Twin Cities metro area. Whatever you're looking for can be found at Video Lease. I remember him going, can be found at Video Lease. And then I had to go, we're located on 94 East and White Bear Avenue. <laughs> so about a month went by. <laughs> Uh, and I noticed some strange things started to happen. I would walk into a room or go to the drugstore, and I felt like people were looking at me like, you know when someone has like toilet paper attached to their shoe, or just these kinds of looks like this. Um, my next-door neighbor at the time would come outside when I parked my car and watch me go into my sister's house and one day he turned to his wife and goes, yep, that's her. <laughs> then one day I was at CVS and his wife came up to me and said, excuse me, are you the woman in that commercial? And I was like, oh my God, you saw the commercial? And she goes, yes, yes, I did. And walked away. And I was like, what happened in this commercial? Like, what happened? Like, did I, I had no idea. So then one night I was performing at a comedy club and there was a TV in the bar area. And I did my set, and I got off stage, and I came out, and this guy goes, oh, my God, he goes, that girl? And he pointed at me, and then he pointed at the TV, and he goes, is that girl? <laughs> and I looked up on the TV, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's my commercial. And the first like shot was exactly as I remembered it. I didn't look great. <laughs> I was like... Minnesota's number one source for movies is video lease. <laughs> and then suddenly it just starts flashing. X, 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 hot, hot, hot. And I'm like, oh my God, no, no, no. Then the second shot, I'm standing in the cubby and I'm like, we have the biggest selection in the Twin Cities metro area. Comedy, drama, and much, much more. And then all of a sudden it starts scrolling. It's like, girl on girl, butt plugs. And I'm like, oh my, it's like the beginning of Star Wars. Where I was like, does that say anal beads? I can't even tell. It's like moving so quickly. And then the final shot, I'm down here on the floor and I'm like, whatever you're looking for can be found at video leads. And it says 24, or it says four hour long DVDs, $24.95. I was like, oh my God, I have to, I have to call my family. <laughs> so the next day I called my mom and I'm like, mom, I'm in a commercial. And she goes, I know. <laughs> and I was like, why didn't you say anything? And she goes, because I was ashamed. <laughs> and that was my life for a while. I was the girl in the porn commercial. It was on, to me, in my eyes, it was the only commercial that was ever on television. It was like around the time where Jimmy Kimmel became popular and was on every night after Jimmy Kimmel. I was definitely that person in that commercial. My friend, I did a student film for my friend's daughter's school, and she said when they played the commercial, everyone was like, oh my God, that's the woman from the dirty commercial. Like, kids recognized it in Minnesota. Um, and then I went to my sister's wedding, and I thought it was safe from it and I was like sitting, I was a bridesmaid and I was sitting at a table of like older people and all of a sudden there was just this massive silence when I sat down and one of my older relatives goes, did you know that you can make money playing Scrabble on a competitive level? And her husband was like, Dolores! And she was like, well if she has a talent, she remembered I played Scrabble. <laughs> so it was my life for a while and I kind of got used to it and time went on and if there was one saving grace to the story it was that when I was in this little cubby um, Fancy Ray had me take a movie from the shelf and hold it up uh, when I said comedy, drama and much, much more and I chose adaptation <laughs> and it always kind of comforted me that if someone was watching this commercial they would be like oh, that sucks that this girl was in a commercial for porn, but at least she has good taste in movies. <laughs> Thank you. My story uh, is kind of about 
Uh, my obsession from a very young age with Disney, which I know, very basic, but that's it. Um, but yeah, growing up, um, I was super obsessed with Disney, specifically the Disney princesses. Uh, I think it was a safe way for me to kind of express or indulge in something feminine with the kind of the safety zone of like me being like, oh no, I'm like really into animation. I want to be an animator when I grow up. I couldn't like draw for shit. Uh, <laughs> But I was like, no, I really, uh, get me, dad, get me these animation books, because that's why I'm watching all these movies like crazy. Uh, but really, it was because, like, like, you know, I related hard with Ariel. We were both, like, we were both, like, girls who weren't, like, into, like, everything below the waist. Uh, and, like, yeah, and, and I, I was kind of, like, all the Disney princesses, I was, I was, they were, they were, like, who I wanted to be. They were strong, like, awesome, creative, independent women uh, who always kept, uh, who always, who always kept a the who who always stayed stayed strong. Who always kept a look on the brighter side of life, and that's who I wanted to grow into, even if I thought I never could. Um, but uh, flash forwards um, twenty twenty five years, uh, I moved to LA, and I finally start to transition. And uh, transitioning is it's exciting. It's weird. It's it's almost like you're re-entering the world and re-entering these places that you've been before and seeing them in a whole new light uh, experience them in a whole new way like to give you an example uh, like the first time I went to like Denny's as Joan uh, I was I, I was late at night and somebody called me a faggot um, which to be fair I was like well, now I'm like well it's Denny's now I don't want to go to Denny's anymore so great <laughs> Uh, like now, if I really want that like mozzarella stick grilled cheese sandwich, I'm gonna be like, do I want that enough to put up with someone calling me a faggot? And sometimes the answer is yes, <laughs> but most of the time the answer is no. So great. Um, but one of the most important places for me to re-enter as Joan to go to as Joan for the first time was Disneyland because of that deep association I had with Disney from a very young age. Like, it was almost like, you know, that was Joan's pilgrimage. That was Joan's homeland. That was her going home. Um, and I, I hesitated on it. I waited a very long time since, from the when I started transitioning to, full, to go to Disneyland as Joan. And the night I picked was about two years ago. Uh, every once in a while, Disney will do these things called all-nighters. It's where uh, they, they keep the park open for 24 hours, um, and I was like, that seems like the perfect time to go, uh, to go as Joan. So uh, I get off of work. My friends and I, we take the train uh, fr from Los Angeles to Anaheim. I'm like dressed in my, uh, I have, I'm dressed in like leather skirt and an Ariel, like she's my, you know, my hero, like my Ariel part of your world t-shirt. And I'm like ready to go. So we're waiting in line. And I'm like, you know what's going to make this experience all the better? It's going to make it truly magical. I should do an edible. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, it's a long way to get in because everybody goes to these all-nighters things. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to like pop in a little, like a little bit of uh, chocolate and just wait for it. And by the time we get into the park, it takes effect. And by the time we got into the park, it took effect. I was like, fine. And for like the first 10 minutes, it was like, oh shit, I'm in fucking Disneyland, like the world, the the world of Disney has come to life. That's not a dude in a costume. That really is the Monsters Incorporated. <laughs> and I'm waving, and I feel awesome and like loved. And then I pass a like this like gaggle of like sixteen year old girls who are all wearing the same Elsa T-shirt, and one of them goes, "Oh my God, that's not." She goes, "Oh my God, that's not a chick. That's a faggot in a dress." And I was like, first of all, bitch, what do you, what do you think is this, Denny's? Uh, <laughs> uh, but, and then secondly, I was like, oh man, you did not like internalize the message of Frozen. But then... Uh, but then, uh, very quickly, my good fun high 
crashed into a shitty paranoid high. And I quickly came to this realization, I'm like, oh my god, the people who, as I said, the people who watch Disney movies don't necessarily embrace, necessarily embrace the messages of the Disney movie. There are might, there are probably a lot of people here who take issue with who I am and how I'm living my life, and I just sunk into this awful, awful, like, paranoid hole. And the rest of my time there, I was, like, just convinced that everyone there was out to fucking get me. And, like, I remember, like, Every 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 ride became a nightmare. We went on the cars ride, and just like a tip, like if you are a trans woman in a like paranoid uh, shithole, the screaming disembodied voice of Larry the Cable Guy, like not does not. It's like get her done, get what done. What's fucking gonna happen to me? Uh, it was a nightmare. Um, and the. The, so, so I'm just keeping my eye on everybody. I'm convinced someone out there is out to get me. It's terrible. And at some point in the night, I'm going to say around like 2 a.m., I start noticing this guy. He's like this scary dude in like all like leather. He has like a leather trench coat, like a leather hat. He looks like the villain from Rescuers Down Under and from Men. And I'm like, is it possible his like cosplay knowledge goes that deep? Is he just supposed to... <laughs> Is he supposed to be the villain from Rescuers Down Under? And I was like, no, no, this is just a scary man who's somehow gotten into Disneyland. And I notice him, I start to notice him throughout the night, like the entire night. I see him. Like he's approaching us. He's approaching my group. He's like, he's like in the same, all the same place that I am. And like, it became a nightmare. I was like, oh, this is it. This is my like, you know, murder moment. This is why I'm going, my, my parents are going to find out I'm trans because I got stabbed to death in Disneyland. <laughs> So, yes, I spend, like, the whole night thinking I'm, like, outrunning my killer. Um, and the sun starts to set, the sun sets to rise. Uh, the, the days, they start kicking us all out of Disneyland because the 24-hour thing is over. And uh, we're on our way out, and my friends are like, oh, we have to go to the bathroom. You just wait here. I'm like, cool, cool. And my, like, my, uh, my paranoia started to die down. The, the chocolate's wearing off. So I'm just waiting there by myself, and this guy, the guy in the the non-rescuers down under cosplay, uh, like finds me and he approaches me, and I'm like, "Fuck, this is it, I'm dead." And he comes up to me, and he says, "Hey, um, I just want to say, like, you keep doing you, because I think that I think what you're doing is awesome, and I want to show you something." So this is great. He, he he. It turns out his face, like this side of his face, is a prosthetic. He takes it off, and he's like, "I'm a war vet." Um, and I, they tell me that like I can't. They like when I do this in the park, they tell, they usually try to kick me out. But I'm like, this is my park, and I should be comfortable here, just like you should be comfortable here, because like this is for everybody. And I was like, oh my god, like uh, I expected him to be this like awful like monstrous thing, and he was just like going through a lot of the same stuff that I was with my experience. In Disney, and I was like, "Man, I really dropped the ball on my pledge to be one more like the Disney princesses." I was judgmental, and I thought, and I, I thought the worst in him. And when he was this like awesome guy, who by the way called himself the Gentleman Zombie, he's like, "My name's the Gentleman Zombie." <laughs> Uh, and I regret that. And uh, from now on, I, I, I try to, like, inter- whenever I, I hit those moments of paranoia, I worry about my place in the world or how someone sees it. I remember to look through it the way one of the princesses would. Um, and I also am now aware, like, why Belle wasn't doing fucking edibles in that castle. <laughs> uh, so thank you, guys. <laughs> That's our show. If you have questions, comments, merch ideas, or just want to shout out your country wherever you are listening to Personally Speaking, email me right now at personallyspeakingshow at gmail.com. Or you can tweet me right to my face at itspersonalnow on twitter.com. We return to the open space on Friday, July 14th with an already outstanding lineup, and we better see your keister in the front row. Until then.